Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us for the weekly update here on a Friday morning at JM in the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to the show. Good morning to you, Nachum. To say this was an interesting news week, especially vis-a-vis Israel and the Jewish world, is an understatement. Uh, you can't get much busier than a week like this. <laughs> and crazy, what, not just... What is public and what isn't. And not just busy, but crazy, because a week ago, you'll recall that we were so into the topic of new elections in Israel that you, you were giving us a timetable, a full analysis, and essentially explaining why all sides are ready to go ahead with this under the leadership, obviously, of the Prime Minister. And sure enough, in just a span of, I don't know, 48 hours later, whatever it was, I think it was early Tuesday morning in Israel, a deal is struck, and now we have Kadima and Likud together. And the largest, are we calling it the largest coalition in Israeli government history? It's one of the largest. It probably ranks amongst the top three. Because if you remember when Shamir and Rabin did a, a unity government, right. that was also very broad. And usually in times of war, you have national unity governments, so I would say it's certainly amongst the largest governments Israel has uh, has ever had. Certainly as a coalition, it's very strong, uh, 94 votes. You may have some diminution as members of different parties may readjust, especially some Kadima members are threatening to break away. But for now, he can afford to lose uh, even a larger number of people and still have this absolute majority. The, uh, and I remind everybody that the Israeli Knesset, the parliament, is 120 seats. I didn't even realize it was over 90. That's unbelievable. Now, uh, meaning the coalition. Now, uh, the and it doesn't seem like any of this was a real secret, unless, again, you know, certain things are being said publicly and we're not revealing or they're not revealing things that are being said and agreed to privately. It seems that certain issues in Israel... And you'll tell me if this is the right way to put it or not. Certain issues in Israel force the hand of both sides to form this coalition government. And I think among the top issues were Iran, this Tal law, which it seems everybody wants to settle one way or the other, and items like uh, the Ulpana situation or whatever you want to call it, settlements in general, or the peace process in general with the PA. Were those issues, in fact, the key ones that forced them to get to the negotiating table and form a government together? And one more issue, the budget, mm. uh, which is very critical in Israel, and he was facing having to come up with a new budget and fear that, again, you'd have the jockeying by small parties who take advantage of the leverage that they have, right. the magnified leverage in most coalitions which are marginal. And uh, and, you're not ex- you're, you're, and you're not excluding the religious parties, by the way, just so I'm people realize. not excluding realize. anybody. Right. And uh, everybody takes advantage of it. So uh, it also saved a lot of money. People were tired. I don't think people really wanted it. Uh, I think that uh, bringing in Mofaz, who's considered, considered somewhat moderate, uh, you know, he is Iranian-born also, uh, so that sort of counters some of the recent criticism and, and assertions. It uh, it puts Lieberman in a much less advantageous position in terms of the leverage, uh, and will give them uh, both on the domestic issues, primarily what you mentioned, but also some of the other issues. Uh, it, it will give them much greater flexibility, and also you know you had some new rising parties like Yair Lapid or Yachimovich uh, and Labor, <coughs> and now this 
puts them all in deep freeze. Let's let's go through the issues quickly and just. Uh, I mean, I'll give you an example. For instance, the Tal law. It seemed natural last week, based on the way the uh, Israeli government has worked for the last sixty-four years. It's it seemed sort of natural that they would postpone the decision, that they would procrastinate and avoid making some type of final decision. Why did why did that work its way into the priority list that they felt it has to be resolved one way or the other? Because the polls show that overwhelmingly the people of Israel want it resolved. They don't want it uh, continuing. Uh, and it would become a major political issue in the election. Um, and the, the addressing it, I think, gave them, gives them the ability now to come up with a solution that hopefully will take into account all the sensitivities but come up with a fairer system. Will it be a solution that the Haredi community will likely not be in favor of? Some elements, and you know that that uh, many have called all along for for people who are not learning full time to serve. Right. And I think that there is recognized, um, uh, let's say, manipulation of the system, uh, so that the, the numbers are far inflated and and different than what was anticipated. Um, thank God, in Israel today, you have uh, tens of thousands of people sitting and learning, but the uh, this. You know, people were resenting the fact that they get paid while students, after serving the army, do not. And all of this was was creating greater and greater rifts in Israeli society. And I hope that by addressing it, we can remove some of the domestic irritants, um, and and that will help unite Israel. Will help break some of the the tension that has been building. The, the fact that some of these things are going to be addressed, well, you know, let me ask you that in a moment in terms of Netanyahu's leadership, but in terms of the other issues, like the PA and negotiations, like uh, the, the the communities and what to do with them when they're disputed communities, does he now toss this all into Mofaz's lap? Is he able to say, look, guys, you know, part of this agreement of this coalition government is not that the Likud members or Likud leadership is going to take care of this, but Mofaz and Kadima are going to take care of this. Was this a sort of a cop-out on Netanyahu's part to throw this whole issue into somebody else? It, it actually may be the exact opposite, that now he can no longer have the excuse that he has to, you know, keep his coalition together, that he has to count out to some of the specific parties or interests uh, I don't think that Mofaz, who does not have a portfolio but is a deputy prime minister, will sit in the inner inner cabinet and defense and the security cabinet. Um, I, I don't think that that's the role that they look to play. I think some of the members of Kadima may, but again, none of them have specific uh, responsibilities as cabinet ministers, at least not yet. And uh, we'll see how it plays out. But they, their voices clearly will be heard. Mofaz. Uh, who, as you know, has been, let's say, more reluctant on the Iranian issue, will certainly make his voice heard. But the dominant voice will be Netanyahu. Uh, what does this uh, tell us about Bibi's leadership, uh, the fact that he was able to form a government with somebody who, to, at the minimum, we would say he was almost always at odds with, right? There was a big personality conflict between these two. Well, actually, in the, I don't think the conflict was that severe. I think the recent comments has... They entered the political silly season, uh, got escalated, and also Mofaz, while running to to lead Kadima and to beat uh, Livni, uh, turned to this uh, uh, to more staunch stand against Netanyahu. But that's part of politics. Uh, I don't think that they are very far apart, actually. And Barack and he 
I'm sorry, you know, have this camaraderie of sorts uh, because he was a former defense minister and former chief of staff. Uh, I don't think anybody feels threatened by Mofaz also. Uh, and Kadima recognizing that they could uh, face a huge defeat at the polls, getting between 9 and 11, maybe 12 seats at oh. most, and would be not only not the leader of the opposition, but be a, a small minority party. Uh, for them, this was a, a lifeline. Should I assume from a political science standpoint that a, that Netanyahu could never have made this deal with Livni? Oh, that would have been impossible. That, that was fire and water, and their difference is much too great. And uh, she, her whole approach to this was, was quite, was very different. And what does this now say about, um, about the Israeli leadership attitude toward Iran? Uh, I think Mofaz has been pretty clear about his desire to stay away from a military strike. We know that Netanyahu has been at, at certainly uh, more to the right of that opinion. How much so, you know, is always unclear. Um, what will this do now to the general Israeli position about what to do with Iran? It's hard to say. A lot will depend on what happens in the talks going on now between the P5 plus 1. So Netanyahu blasted them as again being a, a stalling tactic and just to use to gain time. And people have told me that we'll go to the faults so and we'll know, and et cetera. So uh, it's more what happens there when they, uh, and what Iran does. Uh, we've seen more aggressiveness uh, on the part of Iran. Uh, there are reports of Iran smuggling uh, Libyan arms to the Sinai, paying for these, the shipment of uh, the missiles, some of which uh, stayed in Egypt, but most of which ended up both in the Sinai and somewhat in the Gaza that uh, the uh, increasing role in, in uh, Lebanon with Hezbollah, where they're building new bases in the very areas where they uh, fought Israel. I mean, on many, on many uh, fronts, Iran, which says that it has enough money now, despite the, the sanctions to function, but that has a limited run, uh, is looking at what, what, is the, what steps it could take and how it can play this, uh, this current round. Uh, and looking if they can manipulate these these talks, the United States has demanded more actions. Others have, but in the meantime, they're continuing all the nefarious activities. Mm-hmm. They're certainly continuing the uh, the buildup that was uh, going on all along, and uh, so, so it's more what Iran does than what Netanyahu will decide to do on his own. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listen to sponsor WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, around the world on the web, jmnam.org. Malcolm, I ask this more from a practical point of view than the way it sounds, a philosophical point of view, but is it better for Israel on the international scene to have this uh, coalition, to give the impression, if not the reality, to the United States, Europe, etc., uh, that they are uh, more united and that, in fact, they're standing together when it comes to big international issues? Absolutely. It also puts them on notice that Netanyahu is more likely to do something when Iran will have broader backing to do something. Uh, it also uh, puts pressure on him in the international community, as you saw some of the statements, saying now that you have this broad coalition, we want you to move ahead on peace. Right. Although on the Palestinian side, all <laughs> the signs this week, both of their internal divisions, you saw Fayyad, and they're, they're forming a new government, and, and Fayyad will be foreign minister, uh, prime minister and lose the finance ministry. The, the fact is that you have these uh, very strong divisions uh, and no sign that they are ready to come together, and Fayyad saying it uh, pretty 
bluntly about uh, his criticisms of uh, of what they're doing. So while they continue to honor terrorists again in the last 48 hours, naming summer camps after Mugabe and other you know martyrs as they call them, but those who killed Jews, um, that you see that Hania is also responding to this Hamas. The leader of Hamas said something really interesting this week that if if uh, he, they will not go to war with Israel if Iran is attacked. Now, that could be because their check didn't come from Iran for the week. <laughs> no, <they're> thre- <laughs> uh, uh, it's actually, you're right, it's a financial threat against Iran, right? It could be, but, right. but uh, the very fact that he made this public uh, pronouncement, I thought was... Uh, You'd think that's a suicidal announcement. And yeah. he also announced that they formed this uh, anti-rocket committee of 300 people, or t- uh, unit brigade, of 300 guys who, who stop any firing into into Israel from Gaza unless Israel strikes first. But that they uh, said they're going to be operating 24 hours a day and we'll, we'll be working to stop it, you know, as long as it's mm. in their interest. You know, there's a Channel 10 report that I saw uh, through Drudge this morning that the U.S. is worried that Mofaz and Kadima, now that they have formed this uh, unity government with Netanyahu, could result in an attack on Iran's nuclear facility at any given moment, even before the U.S. elections. Why? I know it's hard to ask you to analyze the media, but why would this increase the possibility of Israel attacking? And and if we all assumed it would never happen before November, why would this now toss pre-November into the equation? Uh, because the, the window of opportunity is generally perceived to be between now and November for a number of reasons. One is political, that until the election, the U.S. is probably going to be limited in any critical response if Israel attacks to that. And a coalition government makes that more likely? It makes the uh, an action more likely because he will have the authority to carry it out. Right. And, and, you know, you have a minority of parties, you have 30 votes at most that would be against the coalition decision, and even if some in the coalition don't go along with it, you still right. have the majority to be able to move. Numbers is strength, numbers is power. And, and But numbers also expectation. Right. And the... Um, you also have to consider that you face the winter when it's very hard to do it. You can't do it when cloud cover, bad weather, et cetera. Right. So it's usually uh, seen that uh, an attack would have to be in the spring to, let's say, fall period. Right. The biggest losers in all this, and I'm not saying that, I'm really not saying that in a you know, in po- way. yeah. But, well, what I what I mean to say is, you know, political. You know, in reality, you know, not to, not to put anybody down, but in reality, obviously, the smaller parties, as you mentioned earlier, including the religious ones, have much less influence at this point. Um, I guess when you you know when you look at it, um, when you you know with twenty twenty hindsight, I think Livni looks even worse than she did when she resigned, because she le- because she leaves, and all of a sudden, this move you know has the ability to be made. So I think she, she is definitely a big loser in this. Um, she becomes more isolated. Had she stuck it out a little while longer and been able to hold on to the leadership, uh, the situation obviously would be very different. And, the, you know, the talk was that she might have joined one of the other parties right. uh, on the ascendancy, like uh, Yair Lapid or Labor. Uh, and I think that that now is, even if it happens, it's much less significant. Anybody else who really suffered politically through this episode? Well, we'll have to see how Lieberman fares in this. It, it depends, number one, on his uh, indictment, which people say is imminent. Right. You notice that he, he named a number two in the party, Yair Shamir, the son of the former Prime Minister Shamir, which was a surprise announcement. He's uh, 60, 
1947, was in high tech, very successful, a smart uh, man. I know him uh, from years past, and <clears throat> his, uh, his appointment was a surprise. He also said he had other people lined up, uh, including some active amb- senior ambassador who went unnamed. Uh, so I think that Lieberman, who, who always played his role, he's a very strong leader, very determined, committed, remains foreign minister, uh, but we'll have to see what happens in terms of his role and the role of Israel Beiteno in the future. Right. And then the religious parties, I think, lose some of their leverage. Uh, I think it makes Netanyahu appear to be uh, a much more mature political leader uh, who has learned from some of the mistakes of the past. Is Mofaz going to accelerate the peace process? Are we going to see a summer where he's making strong efforts and getting a lot of press uh, for reaching out to the PA? He can only reach out so far. Uh, he will push to have that on the agenda, and they, they made that part of the coalition agreement. I mean, it's in, in the agreement itself. Right. But the, the, there are limitations based upon the realities that there's no partner there to sit down with, that uh, the events in the region are certainly mitigating against it. Uh, the um, situation in Lebanon... So this Italian ship with all the ammunition coming in, mm-hmm. you see the flow of weapons, you see the the conditions in, in many places, Hezbollah supposedly building new bases uh, <clears throat> in very sensitive areas, especially, you know, that the, in the areas where they, they drew the line in Jezin, um, in southern Lebanon, and, and a lot of construction, heavy equipment, things like that going on, bases for training. Uh, which uh, we believe they began as early as 2006, right after the war. But the escalation of it uh, worries people in terms of interpreting what it means. And for Israel, the focus is going to be on, on uh, well, of course, it's always Jordan right now, and there's going to be the huge war games that the U.S. is doing there with 10,000 troops from the United States, Jordan, and 15 countries. They're going to do live fire drills and it's really focusing on irregular warfare, but meant to boost, I think, uh, uh, Jordan right now, where the unrest internally, we see the continuing threats and demonstrations because they don't think the reform is moving uh, fast enough. But the big front, I think, will be Sinai now. And that you, you look at the uh, acknowledgments of something we've talked about, and that is the presence of al-Qaeda uh, there, the fact that the Egyptians this week went in, and did some uh, security operations to try and uh, collect uh, weapons and to take um, missiles. Uh, they say there are about 500 al-Qaeda terrorists in, in uh, Egypt, most of them in, in Sinai. Uh, but this action wasn't so much against them, but against the, uh, one of the offshoots of the, the Takfir Hijra group, uh, which you may remember from the 90s, it was, it was fighting Mubarak and fighting Israel. Uh, but this Increasingly, the Sinai is becoming uh, a focal point of, uh, of uh, focus for Israel, and the new military arrangement in the south reflects that. And weapons are on their way there? Weapons are flowing there still. The, there's some remnant of the flow from uh, Libya, and as I said, it's facilitated and paid for by, uh, by Iran. But the, the, you know, the the overall situation there, because of the lawlessness and the fact that the, the Egyptian government did so little there or was able to do very little to control the situation, right. increasingly meant that this situation deteriorated. They seized some missiles this time. 
but the the role and the fact that Sinai becomes a major operational base, potential operational base against Egypt, Israel, the Gulf, etc., uh, has increasingly drawn some attention. And frankly, had they listened when we first warned about it, uh, we could be in a very different situation. How close to the border with Israel? Very close. The 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 there is Al Qaeda controls two uh, communities, towns near the Israeli border itself. And what do you mean controls? Controls. Yeah, politically controls. Physically controls. Mm-hmm. You know, Al Qaeda. People think Al Qaeda is dead. We we hear these reports. Well, we the think they hide people. out. We don't think that they're openly controlling neighborhoods. They're controlling cities. In, Al- in, in Yemen, they control openly five cities. They're moving to, you remember this place, Baba Aminda, which was right near the, on the water, the strategic location. They're moving more closer to, to Aden, which is the capital of South Lebanon. They are in Iraq. They are in Mali in the revolution there. They are in Syria, increasingly present in Syria. I mean, you can go country by country and see their presence isn't large numbers, but they don't need large numbers to have a presence, and they seek to control particular areas and al-qaeda has two of the border towns in the sinai near israel which is under their control they're responsible for the creative bomb making that we learned about this week they are reportedly involved with the the underwear bomber and uh i guess you know we'll have to check everybody's underwear to find out if it matches up but they certainly uh it's certainly their style and their and and what we had seen from them the type of bomb we saw from them years ago i mean we knew I think everybody knew, you know, 10, 20 years ago that we're heading in the direction of non-metal bombs, right? Bombs that uh, have potential to do the same damage as, as ones that contain metal but that are made of plastic or other materials. Sure. And, so, uh, why are we, so are we not prepared to, I mean, has the machinery and technology not been invented yet to uh, detect these types of uh, apparatus as they go onto planes? Well, the, there are machines that could detect chemical weapons and that can, in fact, Israel has developed some... Uh, even uh, putting them in some places on bridges, for instance, and they, they can detect electronically if there are uh, explosives in a vehicle coming across the bridge. But it's very difficult, and to add the cost of now buying these machines for every airport and every place in the world is, uh, is difficult to conceive of. Unbelievable. Uh, it's, and and the, the, the operation that uh, discovered all this... Uh, the, the, the who gets the credit for it? A double agent. Yeah, but from which country? <laughs> and the question is, why did they release the information that he's a double agent? I know it's uh, who crazy. Is this? Why do we leak all this information that would appear to be sensitive and that contrary to way people conduct themselves on uh, uh, in, in such um, matters? And the exposés, the analysis on cable television and news channels has been. Has it's just it's it, everybody now knows exactly how things worked. Everybody knows it, it's crazy. Uh, it's so, so many others do. You saw Israel this week got three new dolphin subs from Germany, which are very important and will be able to enhance Israel's ability in dealing with anything in Egypt, Lebanon, Syria, even Iran. Uh, so there is good news too about the Israel's increasingly strong position in the region, given. Uh, all of the changes that are taking place. I also saw an interesting thing that Turkey, the trade with Turkey and Israel this year, 
despite everything in the military area and the drop in tourism. Yeah, they hate Turkey. I mean, Turkey hates Israel. Yeah, but imports from Israel to Turkey went up from 1.3 billion to almost 2 billion, <laughs> and exports went from 2 to 2.4 billion. So, you know, you can't believe the, the differences, and you see the, the conflicting situations. We saw the Secretary of State's visit to India, the pleading with them, that pleading with them, you know, to join in the effort against Iran. And then you know, at the same time she's there, there's a big trade mission from Iran. And yesterday they announced that they signed a number of deals and they expect $24 billion in trade between Iran and, and India in the coming year. And, you know, the, the differences between the reality and the way stories are, are presented, you saw the story about the prisoners in Israel and the total distortion. You know, it, it, it talks about uh, some of the missile attacks. It talks about some of the sundry issues. It doesn't mention one thing about the missiles. It doesn't talk about who these guys were until the 14th paragraph. Do they, um, does it, do they even get around to letting people know that, uh, that they're members of Islamic Jihad? Why? What's the international community demanding? That they be released? Well, they're saying that you should try him or release him or charge him or, you know, move ahead on the legal processes against them. And uh, and they showed that the number of words quoted from Palestinian supporters of the prisoners was 269 from those explaining Israel's rationale for administrative detention supported by the Supreme Court of Israel was zero. Let's talk about some public officials. Uh, what do we know about Francois Holland? That he's a socialist. We know uh, that there will be a shift in French policy. We don't know yet how he'll work with Merkel. We don't know, you know, whether he in fact will go in these draconian measures that he has uh, proposed. Uh, but certainly things will not be the same. With whatever criticism we had of Sarkozy, he was a friend of Israel. He did um, support. He was a leader on the on the sanctions against Iran. And now we'll have to see what. What will emerge? The new NATO meeting will be a, an opportunity to see. Uh, the fact that Putin announced he's not coming, I think, is very significant. I think it's a slap at the administration, a slap at the, for whatever reason he said he needs it to put his cabinet together. That's certainly not the case. Um, he is setting the new prime minister. But the big debate there was about Israel's participation and the rumors based on some comments by Turkish officials that they vetoed Israel's participation. Now we heard uh, from the Assistant Secretary of State for Europe and Eurasia, uh, Philip Gordon, that this was really a matter of logistics and time, that Israel had never been invited, so there was no veto, uh, but that uh, it wasn't, there was no reason, it was just a matter of time. But 25 other countries beyond the NATO members were invited. How, how, what, what? an argument that this is a matter of logistics and time. What, what's, so the, the what's the historical precedent? Has Israel been there in the past? Israel is a partner of NATO. They have participated in some of the past uh, meetings. It doesn't mean everybody goes to every meeting, uh, but uh, I, I, it is true that Israel was not planning to participate, but they were not invited to participate either. Um, i got to ask you a question about um, the Prime Minister of Israel. Uh, I'm sure you saw, as the entire world saw, uh, Pro um, President Obama this week made it very clear that he has a... Uh, that he has a um, clear opinion now about how he feels on a what supposedly is a very important social issue. Uh, in short, he's much more comfortable with a man marrying a man. After I heard this, I um, after um, uh, this was revealed, 
I was listening to the news from Israel, and apparently there was some major rally or petition or effort, whatever the case is, to, uh, you know, obviously celebrating the the fact uh, that the President of the United States released this type of statement, and then demanding that Prime Minister Netanyahu also publicly acknowledge this important social idea. Do you think that he is going to uh, be under pressure on a social issue like this and others uh, in Israel? I, I don't think so. I mean, you know, uh, Israel has uh, rights for, for uh, all, all its citizens, including the uh, gays. And uh, I, I don't think that the majority of Israelis are, are pushing this issue. And I'm not sure where the majority of Americans are on this. I think people want to see rights uh, granted. But you saw the vote in North Carolina and uh, other places in the South, uh, and the polls show it almost an even split on the issue. But I, I don't think that there is that kind of pressure in Israel. I, I certainly have not heard it, and I don't follow it, really. Yeah, well, the media certainly knows how to make an issue, but I don't just mean here, but obviously in Israel as well. What's the post-mortem on Richard Luger's political career? It's over. Yeah, but what do you think? Was he a friend? Was he uh, somebody you could depend on or not? Uh, well, uh, in that, you have to. It depends on who you ask. Uh, he was a critic at times. He uh, he held important positions and overall did support Israel. Um, you know, he was a, he was one of the key leaders in in the Senate, uh, and there were bills that carried his name that were where he took the lead in supporting uh, legislation that was pro-Israel. Malcolm, the uh, you mentioned Yemen and so many other areas where Al Qaeda's population, let's put it, is increasing. Is Afghanistan the only place where it's decreasing? I'm not sure how much of a decrease. It is true that they dispersed from uh, Afghanistan, and, and again, uh, Al Qaeda. I don't think ever was based on big numbers. You don't need a lot right. of people to carry out some of these, uh, you know, attacks and to to be a disruptive uh, element. And certainly, they deployed, redeployed to Yemen and are looking for key locations along the critical waterways where they can continue the kind of piracy that we saw and certainly uh, threaten uh, shipping. Um, so I, I don't know what the status is in Afghanistan. I don't think anybody really knows uh, what remnants are left there, but they were redeployed, and now we see them just infecting many different areas, and they're part of the panoply of uh, of these groups that are, are, are out there that um, often join coalesce as they do in Sinai, where you have four or five different groups uh, working together, or at least working in the same area. Um, so nobody knows the real numbers of Al Qaeda. What is clear is Al Qaeda is not dead. And and finally, I mean, you took away from this week, as all this unfolded with the CIA and the double agents and the operatives and the potential non-metal bombs and everything else. You took away from this week that we are ahead of the game and that the good guys are still are still able to stay ahead of the bad guys? Or you took away from this week that it's just getting way too easy and too sophisticated for the bad guys to cause problems? That's a very good question, and I think the answer is both, that it is easier for them to do it because you have more and more technology available to them. You have uh, a weakening position and all the disruptions in the, in the Middle East. You see the Muslim Brotherhood again now much more active in the Syrian opposition uh, and in many other places. The, uh, uh, there is good news on it. The, uh, Russia returned the deposit for the S-300 defense system that Iran uh, wanted to purchase, so I think that really shows that they're not going to uh, uh, sell it to them. Uh, 
Uh, the United States, uh, the House is proposing a billion dollars for the joint U.S.-Israel missile defense system, and uh, Congress passed a very strong pro-Israel uh, legislation to enhance the relationship in virtually every area, uh, because I think more and more the United States, people around the world, including the Arabs, are coming to realize the important role Israel plays in the stability of the region. And, you know, you don't hear the calls when, when a poll that showed that in Egypt 10 percent of the people cited the Palestinian-Israeli issue as a critical matter, and <laughs> the numbers were not much higher in most of the rest of the, the Arab world. It doesn't mean that they don't care about the issue. It's not to say that it's... But there's no the stability table. in their own country. But the, that, that's what they're more concerned that's with. That's exactly right. Yeah. And that more and more the, the attention is turning inward, and people are looking at their, at their domestic situations. Uh, you see the violence spreading. We see the instability continuing, and the, the economic downturn, which is not going to end uh, right away. You know, you can have temporary blips, like in Egypt, they made a deal that the farm reserves went up this month. It doesn't mean anything. The economy itself is in is in tatters and in ruins, and uh, they're now trying. Hopefully, they'll do more about the the Sinai, but the stress on on the government, the the elections there, put on election commission put on hold. And the candidates for president are trying to outdo each other about who will kill the Camp David Accords more. The one will kill it once, one will kill it twice. That uh, Musa and the others are, are, are competing over, you know, denouncing the, the uh, previous accords with Israel. And, uh, of course, the gas sales have been uh, disrupted. So it's, it's a tumultuous time, and the, 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 the panoply of issues, and we only start, we only got to some of the things. Yeah, we didn't even get to Syria at all, which is also, yeah. Much else there. All right. Um, if, if I'm not here next week, we will certainly get in a, uh, uh, we'll continue Erev, Erev Shavuos, and obviously if I'm here next week, we will continue with the weekly update. Malcolm, thank you. Erev, Erev Yeah, that would be Erev, Erev Shavuos. <laughs> that rare Saturday night Shavuos. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations.